0: Welcome to the program. I'm Jeff Sheckman. There's a line from the 1973 movie, The Way We Were, where Katie Moraski, played by Barbara Streisand, talks about Hubble Gardner, played by Robert Redford, when she says, In a way, he was like the country he lived in. Everything came too easily to him. And that has been the narrative, albeit often a false one, of ease and grace that the public often seeks to buy into with respect to its leaders. Certainly Kennedy's success exploited it, maybe even laid the political predicate for it in his race against Nixon in 1960. In a way, it was even part of the Obama narrative. On the flip side, it may very well have worked against Hillary Clinton in 2016. Because in a way, it seemed that for Hillary, nothing came easily. Everything she had achieved was or appeared to be a struggle one that played out on the public stage for more than 40 years. My guest, Jennifer Palmieri, got to see this up close and personal as Hillary Clinton's communications director and a veteran herself of many political campaigns. She brings it all together in her new book, Dear Madam President. Jennifer Palmieri spent eight years in Bill Clinton's White House. She was a press secretary for the Democratic Party, worked on John Edwards' 2004 campaign, was deputy communications director and later communications director in the Obama White House. And it is my pleasure to welcome Jennifer Palmieri here to talk about Dear Madam President, an open letter to the women who will run the world. Jennifer Palmieri, thanks for joining us.
1: Oh, I'm really happy to be with you. Thanks for having me.
0: It's great to have you here. One of the things you talk about, and it really is in this context of of how people see political candidates and particularly how they saw Hillary Clinton, that she didn't think that her story, her personal story mattered. Talk a little bit about
1: that. Yes. It's really. I mean, there was so much of the experience in working for her that was an eye opener for me, and that one really puzzled me at first, which was she thought, you know, she said we were trying to figure out where she should officially launch her campaign. And normally, when you do that with a presidential candidate, you go to some place that's key to their bio. You know, as an example, I used Marco Rubio went to Freedom Tower, where Cuban refugees were welcomed in uh, into Miami. Um, And she said, and I had argued we should go to California, actually, where her mom had lived part of her childhood in very difficult times. And she said, Hillary said, you know, my husband has a story. President Obama has a story. I don't have a story. And so she thought she needed to cloak herself in the history of other presidents and connect herself to um, presidents that were revered so that the American people had a way to think about her as a continuum, and otherwise her story would be boring and or off-putting. And I've come to learn that this is very common for women candidates. They don't think they have an interesting story. And I believe that's because we like our president's um, life stories to mirror classic elements of the American dream, right? You can see that in Bill Clinton's like, pull yourself up for your bootstraps story. You can see that in Ronald Reagan certainly. You can see that in President Obama who, you know, Barack Hussein Obama, a black man named Barack Hussein Obama was sort of a stretch for America but he told a story about the country that we were proud of, you know, as, as you noted you know, that your opening was really <laughs> compelling. It was really interesting. The quote about the Robert Redford character, um, that, you know, he, I felt like Obama had a lot of grace and he fulfilled a promise of America. We'd love that. And there's just not that analog for women in our country's history. And, you know, I, Um, Right in the book that the future is female, but the past was too. It's just no one thought it was important enough to write it all down. And uh, this is a, it's a, it was, and I think that Hillary probably has changed that. I think her own, the story that we were living in real time um, in that campaign is now part of the American sort of canon of, of stories. But I really think it's because women's uh, own stories and contributions have not been consistently represented in our country's history or indeed in the world's history.
0: Yeah, the other part of that is the degree to which that sense she had, and, and as you argue, other the women politicians as well, women in general and, and politicians specifically, mm-hmm. that because they don't see that story, because they, they can't articulate that narrative – that what it mm-hmm. plays out as is this this lack of authenticity sometimes, or the appearance of lack of authenticity, and that that leads to other problems and other perceptions, and maybe even goes to a part of what you spend a lot of time talking about with respect to Hillary. Mm-hmm. There's something about her I just don't like.
1: Yes, I think that's right. I mean, I, I think that it is a combination of this is foreign to us which is, you know, that, you know, a woman seeking the highest land, highest office in the land, um, you know, it may not, to our modern eyes and ears, seem that revolutionary. But when you look at it from the scope of human history, it is. When you look at, when you understand that women have had the right to vote for less than 100 years, um, we've only been participating in politics in the workplace for 100 years. It's a radical thing. And, So I think it's that sort of dissonance about like, we don't, we don't recognize this story combined with unease about a woman, a woman with ambition and people loved Hillary's concession speech. Um, And a lot of people came up to me afterward and it was a good speech. I mean, it was a great Mm -hmm. speech and I was really proud of her um, on that day, but it, people came up to me afterwards, you know, saying, where was this Hillary during the campaign? Why didn't we see this side of Hillary when it mattered? And what they liked, I believe, is this graciousness and this notion of a woman selflessly putting the interest of the country and trying to call us to a higher calling, um, putting all of that above her own self-interest. That's what we liked. <laughs> And when you're running for president, you have to say this. You are, in essence, saying, I want the most powerful job on the planet. I think I am the best person for the most powerful job on the planet. And here are all the reasons why the guy I'm running against is not as good as me. And that is hard for a woman to do, and we don't like hearing it from women. We just, we still don't like hearing that. It is, it just, is clatters <laughs> when we hear it. And there's something about that. We just don't like there's something about that. We just don't trust. And, you know, the thing, what, really interesting insight from the campaign, we learned that what people liked the best about Hillary, her best attribute was that she had been willing to go work for president Obama as a secretary of state, even though they had run against each other. And that showed that she was willing to put aside her own ambition <laughs> Um, in order to serve the country. You know, as if being Secretary of State is not a great thing, right? I mean, I thought it was a privilege for her, and I thought it was gracious of Obama to give her the job. But it said that – but I think that when we see a woman with ambition, we sometimes think that's all she is, right? (laughs) Right. So I think people had a sense that Hillary was just about ambition um, because it can't exist as that a woman can have ambition and be compassionate and be thoughtful and have good solutions for the country. And, you know, there's a lot of progress. I mean, everybody thought Hillary could do the job. That's progress for a woman. But that's it's like we don't recognize her story. We don't we don't know what to do with this ambition. That's where we still struggle.
0: Is a part of the concession speech, and and I think about this with respect to the concession speech in twenty sixteen, and also, mm-hmm. be, yep. you know, eight years before, and with respect to cracks in the glass ceiling, another concession speech that people liked. That in the rearview yeah. mirror, in the rearview mirror of those concession speeches, there was a story to tell, there was a narrative to tell, the narrative that that she didn't tell otherwise, and that was
1: missing from those campaigns. It's a really good point. It's a really good point, right, because the story had come to – it was – the story had come to a conclusion, and there was something that we could look back on and appreciate. And I think when – but when you are – what I have come to believe is that the person who is making history, the person who's doing it the first time um, – we don't value their story in real time, and that's that kind of phenomenon. I think is repeated throughout mm-hmm. history, um, and it is. But it's a really compelling point that you make. That once it's once it's completed, we're able to look back on it and understand it. We get it. She tried. She failed. <laughs> She was the first woman. She had some hard times, but ultimately she rose to the occasion. We like that. We like her. Right. Um, and when she's struggling in real time to prove why she wants the biggest job in the on the planet and why she's the best for it, uh, you know, there's 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 a lot of problems with that.
0: The other thing that that you talk about is this sense, and and I think you you talk about both Hillary and Bill Clinton had a sense early on. That something was different. That there was something in the voters' consciousness that was different this time around.
1: They did. They had. Um, you know, I would say it was um, it was the fall of 2015, and we were doing debate prep for our debates in the primary with Senator Sanders and and others, um, and they were both very despondent because they said they had not seen, they'd both been on the campaign trail for a few months at that point, and it just had this disaffection that had sort of set in with a lot of uh, America. And they were really troubled by it because they said they had never seen anything like it and they weren't certain what to do about it um, and didn't see how you could connect with people who hadn't just been through hard times, but had given up any se- any hope that things could change or that government could respond to them and help them. And, you know, when Bill and Hillary Clinton tell you we see something we've never seen before, that's, you know, that's um, pretty sobering. And it you know, every day on that campaign, I saw something remarkably different from other years that told you Donald Trump could be president. You know, it's not, um, I think that it was a reckoning. I think that the um, one thing the Clintons told us to do in another meeting in February after we lost the New Hampshire primary was they had reread a book called True Believer um, that, was written by Eric Hoffer in the mm-hmm. 1950s a German immigrant who came to this country and it's about the rise of mass movements and the circumstances and conditions in which that happens in a country and the theory sort of is that if it's not during a time of crisis either a war or you know or you know famine or uh, extreme days of extreme poverty it's not during the crisis where the frustration in a populace comes roiling to the surface. It's years later um, when things are getting better, but not for everyone, or perhaps the war gave people a sense of purpose, and that's gone now, and they feel lost. And that's when the frustrations come out, and that's when leaders who, you know, like Trump, um, might tell a story about America or the country that makes sense to these people and they see themselves reflected in and feel like gives them value again, but may not be coherent, um, may not have a coherent ideology or a coherent agenda behind it, that's when those kinds of leaders rise. You know, I read the book and thought, and there were a lot of striking similarities to some of the frustrations you saw in America, um, but still didn't think that it would happen here, that we would elect somebody like him, someone whose, whose strategy in electing, being elected president was dependent upon pitting us against each other, dependent upon that. Not that he failed to bring us together, he sought to divide us. Um, but they saw it. And so, still, ultimately, all of us, you know, Bill Clinton, Hillary Clinton, myself, we still at the end thought that we would win. Um, and, you know, mostly because I, I think it was like a karmic insurance America's not going to do this. But we can't possibly be going through this harrowing experience only to be playing our part and making Donald Trump president of the United
0: States. Yeah. In retrospect, mm-hmm. though, it seems that they were two tracks. I mean, you thought you were going to mm-hmm. win because from a political perspective, mm-hmm. in terms of numbers and states and votes, there was yeah. every reason to believe you were going to win. No question about it. But did they understand... Mm-hmm. question, but yeah. Right, right. But did they understand... What was going on in the country? What was it that Donald Trump was a symptom of, not the cause of, but a symptom of what you were talking about in in True Believer? Yeah. And and how or was she willing to channel any of that into her message and into the campaign?
1: Yeah. So we um, did—I think that we saw—you know, we had data that told us we were going to win, Um, but it also told us there was a possibility we could lose, one in four chance. Um, One in three in some cases. But I thought, moreover, I myself just believed in the karmic insurance. That America's (laughs) not going to do this at the end. In September, I'll tell you, in September I thought we were going to lose. I thought, we are not the people who are going to stop this guy. He just blew by the Republican primary. Just blew through 15 people like nothing. Uh, Why are we going to be able to stop that? Um, And I'll tell you this, though. We saw it. But felt that there was very little you could do to combat it in that moment, because what was at the root I think of the frustration that people felt was nothing can work, nothing 's going to change, no um, you know nothing that, that about how Congress can normally operate or you know, or the administration, or none of that can help. We just need to blow up the system and try something really, really different. And we can't combat that. You know, Hillary Clinton is a in the public eye for 40 years. Her strength was, and why I believe she would have been a great president is because she understands the game so well. She knows how to work with Congress. She knows how to dig in, even in the face of a lot of opposition, do the really hard work and make progress. That is her deal. That is what she offers you. Um so you couldn't run in a, you know an insurgent kind of campaign where you say, Yes, you were right you know we can say you are right to be so frustrated and this is going to require really really hard work and she is the person to do it we could say this is a country we love and we don't pit each other against us we don't put, we don't put ourselves pit ourselves against each other we bring people together that's who we are and that's the campaign we could run but we couldn't run the campaign that he ran where he could feed into that and say, yeah, you're right, we're going to blow this thing up. The system is rigged. And, you know, that's just, it was, there was not, uh, you could see it, but there was not an effective way to combat it the way Trump did.
0: And finally, as it relates to women that may run for president in the future, given all that we've been talking about, to what degree do you think that these issues were sui generis to this campaign, or are there really broader things that women running for president, for any office, but for president specifically, can learn from this in the future?
1: I think the questions about ambition will remain. They will not be unique to this campaign, and, um, you know, and sort of wrapped up in that, the you know, what your story is, um, your presentation. Um, wow, she seems really shrill. Oh, she's too timid. You know, there's all this... You get women candidates. Certainly, Hillary got a lot of conflicting advice contained within... By the same person, not not that from different camps, but... Um, and uh, about presentation. I think it's because, it, you know, we got all this conflicting advice. She's got to be, you know, she's got to be strong, but she can't be shrill. She needs to be vulnerable, but she can't look weak. And... Um, You know, Hillary said, "Ask those people um, who is a woman on the world stage that does it just right. (laughs) That would be really helpful because then she can model herself after that woman." And of course, no one had an answer. No one said Angela Merkel. No one said Theresa May. Um, And I think that's because these women are—you know—they're—they're. they're the pioneers. They're the ones that showing us what it does look like. And each woman is going to do it a little differently. So, I think you know my advice to the women candidates I talked to about that is understand that these questions, the questions voters have for you, are different than the questions they have for men. Doesn't mean everybody's sexist. We just still are looking at this a little differently when it comes to women. And you got to meet voters where they are. Um, And you're going to get criticized or critiqued, at least, about your presentation and understand that, you know, that also comes from, that's also part of the process of people adjusting to women in power. And you just need to understand who you are at your core and be be brave and willing to reveal that. Um, You know, these campaigns are going to test your very soul and um, not expect to be able to please everyone. Just because you're not pleasing everyone doesn't mean you're not doing it right for you.
0: Jennifer Palmieri, her book is Dear Madam President, an open letter to the women who will run the world. Jennifer, I thank you so much for spending time with us. It was a real pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you.